Uh, my family, we have a Labradoodle. Anybody have, anybody, uh, dog people, dog people in the room? Come on, yeah, dog people, cat people, cat people, we're, we're praying for you, we're praying for you, but uh, we've got a Labradoodle named Piper, and she is the best dog ever. She is fun and friendly and playful, and we just, you know, she's such a part of the family. And here a couple weeks ago, she started having some balance issues, which have been pretty concerning to us, where she just kind of has a hard time, and she sometimes will just fall randomly. And um, at first, it was cute, and then it got serious, you know, it was like, what's up? i taken her to the vet, and the vet's like, we can't figure out what's wrong with her, so we're going to, you know, we, we think you should go to the specialist. You know they have dog specialists? Yeah, and, and, and dog specialists charge as much as a normal specialist do, too. And so uh, going to have to send her to a specialist to kind of figure this out. Uh, and it made me think, like, as we're thinking about our dog, like, pets are such a part of the family, right? Like, they're, they're just, they're, like, if you've got a dog, you know a dog's like a cherished member of the family. And if you've got a cat, they're like the weird uncle that you put up with, right? But, like, pets are a part of the family. You love them. And when they get sick or maybe when, you know, you're looking at something diff- di- di- different, it's, it's difficult, right? It weighs on you. In fact, it reminded me, uh, in elementary school, we had this dog show up at my house when I was growing up, and, and uh, I'd always wanted a dog, and I begged my mom and dad, I said, please, can I keep this dog? And against better judgment, they're like, sure, you can keep the dog. And so I named the dog Biscuit, because I think that's all we had was a biscuit, like literally like, like from KFC, a biscuit. So I fed her a biscuit. So she got the name of Biscuit. And uh, me and Biscuit ended up being best friends. Like it was like, like she'd sleep on my bed, and we were, we were best friends. And I remember my mom, you know, she didn't know what kind of dog it was. And she said, Kevin, you know, I'm concerned that the dog's getting too big. And now as I'm a little older, I realize what the problem was. The dog just kept digging holes in the backyard. And she wanted the holes in the backyard. And she's like, maybe we should find somewhere else with more property for the dog. And I'm like, no, mom, this is my best friend. You can't get rid of my best friend. And I thought, problem solved, right? Conversation over. Well, then I get up one morning to go to school, Robertson Elementary. I go to school, and I come home, and my dog's gone. Isn't that terrible? How would, I literally, I came home, and I'm like, Mom, where's my dog? And she's like, we had some friends pick it up and take it out to the country. And I'm like, it was terrible. I remember, like, we had this side house, and the side of the house was the fence, and there was the the chimney, I sat on that chimney and I screamed and cried for an hour and a half. It was horrible. I remember the neighbor came over and the neighbor uh, called my mom and was like, what's wrong with your son? Like, is he, what's going on? Because my dog was gone. I remember for the next like two months, I was so mad at my parents. I was mad at God. I was mad at the world. Like, how could I lose biscuits? How many of you have ever had that experience? Maybe not with a dog. But how many of you have ever had that experience where you were dealt a difficult or a painful hand that you didn't necessarily see coming? It was a loss of a job that brought some financial struggles. It was some physical ailments that led to this ongoing physical pain that you have to deal with. Could have been debilitating anxiety maybe the death of a loved one? How many of us have been through that spot where we are hurt and we can't help but saying, God, God, where are you? 
God, what are you doing? God, God, I thought you were loving. God, I thought you were loving, but now as I look at what I'm going through, God, I just don't see it. Now, there's many of us in here who have been through that. And I will say there's many of us in this room that we're going to go through that in the future in our life. And the question is, when we're dealt that hand that we didn't see coming, that difficult thing, that hardship, the question is, how will we respond? Reminds me of years ago when I worked at Madison House. There was a family I worked with, and I, I love this family. I still love seeing this family to this day. They had three boys and one girl. Um, at that stage, they were all middle school through toddlers. So they're young, young kids. And uh, I remember how difficult it was because one day their mom just up and decided, I'm leaving. Just abandon the family. Without saying it, it's just, just up and kind of like biscuit. Like how terrible, uh, horrible in Angela. Sorry, I'm, I'm going off. Uh, how, how terrible for this family. And then on top of that, on top of that, the little girl, she had some physical ailments. And so she kept having to go to all these specialists and have a couple of different surgeries. And so that led again to all these financial problems for this family. And this dad who's trying to figure out what to do, he didn't handle it very well. He became a drunk, very angry and bitter. And you can imagine how that affected these kids. And for the daughter, it got even worse because as the dad was going through all this stuff, the dad decided, I don't want a daughter anymore. I can't handle a daughter. The boys are easier. I can't do a daughter. So he shipped the girl off to some family members in another state, and they shipped the girl off to another place, and they shipped her off to another place. And finally, she came back to her dad because she had nowhere else to go. She came back to the dad who did not want her. Little girls in childhood, like they're supposed to play dress up. They're supposed to dance. They're supposed to feel loved and protected. And this girl's childhood was filled with rejection, suffering. And you hear that and you expect this little girl to end up just like her dad. Angry, bitter, mad at God, mad at the world, mad at everybody. But I tell you, this girl's faith was so, so remarkable. Because you would talk to her and she would say, you know, I don't know why I've had to go through what I've had to go through but I know that God had a purpose. I know that God took me through these things to make me stronger, to make me who I am today. And God brought me through those things so I would learn how to trust him despite the circumstances that are going around me. This girl ended up going off to trade school, having a successful career, married a phenomenal guy. They're expecting their first child. And I look at this girl and I think, she may have more faith than I do to go through all that she went through and still be able to say, man, God is still good. We've been studying the book of Acts for the majority of this year, having this conversation on how does the church become not just an institution where you come and you put some money in the offering and you listen to some mediocre jokes, but how do we become a movement that impacts and shapes everything around us? Like, like, that's what we want. We want God to do what he said he would do in us and through us. So we're studying this book to say, what can we learn from this? And we're, we're in Acts chapter 16 today. Acts chapter, like things are going pretty good, right? Things are going pretty good for the early church. God had guided Paul and his missionary team. He, he said, don't go to Asia. We want you to go to, to Europe. 
And then we want you in Europe to go to Macedonia, the region of Macedonia. In the region of Macedonia, we're going to send you to Philippi. And God says, in Philippi, we're going to send you to the, to the riverbank, and we're going to introduce you to a lady named Lydia because she is sensitive to the faith. And she's going to become a Christian, and God's going to use her and some other people to plant a church in Philippi. And you're like, this is awesome. Like, things are going good for the church until they aren't. Because in our text today, Paul and his crew are going to be slandered. They're going to be beaten, imprisoned in horrendous circumstances. Yet somehow they still have the ability to praise God in the middle of that. And Paul and Silas and my friend from Madison House, all are going to be example for us today how a defiant faith is able to look past our circumstances, to look past our pain and embrace the hope that we have in God. We'll start out Acts 16, verse 16. Paul and his crew, they're at their place of prayer. And it says, they met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination who brought her owners much gain through fortune telling. This girl had a hard life. She had a double whammy. She was a spiritual slave and an economic slave. It's a double whammy. Verse 17, it says, she followed Paul crying out, these are the servants of the Most High who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. And listen to this. It says, Paul became greatly annoyed. Again, I love scripture. Because again, if I'm writing this, I'm like, Paul, he was such a great guy. He had a, such a love for this girl. Paul, out of incredible compassion. No, it says, Paul is an everyday person just like us. He got greatly annoyed with this girl. And therefore, he turned, verse 18, and he said, Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the Spirit came out of her at that very hour. Like, what a cool thing, right? This girl who is, is in bondage, like, oh, Paul, because he's annoyed, says, I'm, I'm gonna free you from this demon. You're gonna be set free from this captivity. The problem is, though, that's interfering with her owner's ability to make a profit off of her. So it says in verse 19 that when her owners saw that their hope for gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace before the rulers. They brought them before the magistrates, and they said, these men are Jews who are disturbing the city. They have customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept and to practice See, what happened here? Paul began touching their hearts because their hearts were tied to their wallets. Paul was offending to them. So they arrested Paul and Silas. They, they, they brought him before a mob. They bring up these false charges that they have a racial slur. They say, these guys are, are Jews. They're different than us. They're the minority. They're considered less than. And without a trial... Without anything else happening, it says in verse 22 that the crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates, they tore their garments. They gave orders to beat them with rods. Verse 23, when they had afflicted them with many blows, they threw them in prison and gave orders to the jailer to keep them securely. And having received the order, the jailer put them in the inner prison. Think about the dungeon. Put them in the dungeon and fasted their feet to stalks. Stocks would have been these things that would have prevented them from standing up. 
So if you can imagine them getting beaten on the back with these rods, their backs being, the flesh just being torn open, and they're thrown in the dungeon, and they can't stand. All they can do is lay down on the muck and the mire, on the pain in their back. Here we've got a couple of men who are bloodied and bruised and swollen and humiliated. I think we could say Paul's life had taken a drastic and a painful turn. Again, how many of us have been in that situation where our life has taken a drastic, sudden, painful turn that we didn't necessarily see coming? And we can look and we can say, man, I, don't ex- I didn't expect this. I don't deserve this. And the question is, how do we respond in that moment? I mean, here's what I would expect. If I'm, if I'm being honest, maybe you're more spiritual than I am. But if I'm Paul and I've been mistreated like this, I'm in prison that night thinking, man, how am I going to get revenge on these jerks? They've mistreated me. I need to defend myself. I need to figure out, can I call a lawyer? Can I call Derek Sutton and file a lawsuit? Like, can I do something to make this right? Again, that's just me. I'd be thinking, how can I break out of this prison? I don't deserve to be here. I don't belong here. How can I break out? Maybe I just whine and complain to everybody. Oh, I know some of you were like, well, I would pray. Yeah, if you're in that situation, how many of us have prayed when we've had this drastic turn in our life? How many times do we pray and say, God, God, are you there? God, do you hear me? God, what are you doing? Like, why is this happening to me? God, what have I done wrong to bring this horrible circumstance upon myself? God, why aren't you doing something to, God, don't you even care? God, I thought you were loving. Can you imagine? Like, those are the natural feelings we feel when we go through these difficult times. In fact, there's many people who have been through difficult times much like this. They faced the difficulty and the pain, and they became angry and bitter towards life, towards God, drift away from the church. Their faith in God becomes deflated and diminished because all they can see is their pain and not understanding God. I don't, I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know why I have to go through this. But look at this, verse 25. It says, about midnight, dark night of the soul, middle of the night, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Again, I read this and I'm like, what? What's going on? They're beaten and bloody. They're in a dungeon. Undoubtedly, they're exhausted. Yet somehow, they're praying and singing hymns to God. I spent my week this week in preparation thinking, how do Paul and Silas, who have suffered so unjustly and unfairly, how could they be worshiping and singing to God in the middle of that? What kind of faith in the middle of the hardship still has the ability to praise God? Well, I've got an answer. It's a defiant faith. The word defiant means to resist or have bold opposition. 
So a defiant faith is a faith that resists and opposes the pain and the hardship that we have and embrace the hope that we have in God. That's what a defiant faith is. It's willing and able to look past the pain and choose to embrace the hope we have in God. You see, this defiant faith, it's a choice. It is a choice. Now, we understand faith is a gift from God. Scripture says that. Faith is a gift from God, but faith must be activated. It is a choice that we make. When we're suffering, we can choose to give in to the pain, to give in to the bitterness, to give in and doubt God, or we can choose to have this defiant faith like Paul and Silas and say, even though I don't understand it, I choose to believe and to trust. You know, throughout Scripture, we see faith being a choice again and again and again. In fact, Jesus the night before he's betrayed, he's in the garden and he's praying, God, I don't want to go through with this. And he makes a choice and says, not my will, but your will be done. In fact, Hebrews 11, the, the, the chapter of Bible heroes, every one of those people made a choice. You read that chapter and verse after verse, it says, by faith, this person did this and they did that. By faith, they chose faith. Listen, when life is, is hard, when it's crushing, when we've dealt a hand that we don't feel like we deserve or we didn't expect, when we're bloodied and bruised and disappointed, what will you choose? Will you choose to give in to the doubt? Or will you choose to embrace the hope in Jesus. My prayer is that we would be a church that would choose, like Paul and Barnabas, we would choose this defiant faith to praise God in the middle of whatever storm we find ourselves in. You know why? Because here's what's gonna happen. When we walk in defiant faith, when we choose to trust God even in the middle of hardship, suffering, and difficulty, man, when we choose that defiant faith, that's when God works in powerful and amazing ways. I mean, look what happens. Verse 26. They're praising God, and suddenly a great earthquake came, and the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. Do you think Paul and Silas knew this was going to happen? No, they couldn't have dreamed this was going to happen. They had no clue this was going to happen. But I tell you what, what I know from Scripture is that when people choose this defiant faith, choose to walk in the hope they have in God, man, God does amazing things to magnify his name. Verse 28, Paul cried out with a loud, or excuse me, verse 27. The jailer woke and he saw that the prison doors were open and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing the prisoners had escaped. We were like, what's going on here? Again, we look back a couple weeks ago. We're in Acts chapter 12 and God miraculously led Peter out of prison. 
And remember what happened? They took the jailers and they killed them. You lose a prisoner, you pay with your life. This Philippian jailer is like, oh man, I'm, 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 I'm dead. These prisoners, they're set free. But verse 28, Paul cried with a loud voice and said, do not harm yourself, we are all still here. Jailer turns on the lights and sees everybody's and amazed. He brings Paul and Silas out. Look what he says in verse 30. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a great question. What would lead him, what would lead him to that question? Well, I imagine this jailer, he must have heard. Remember that demon-possessed girl? Remember what she was proclaiming? These men show you the way to salvation. Man, he must have been like, man, I remember what that girl said. And then he saw these guys, Paul and, and Silas, he saw them in prison, not angry, not bitter, not seeking revenge. He saw them singing praise to God. And he realized, man, these guys must, have, must know what they're talking about. And he asked them, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas respond in verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved as long as your household. You remember his question is, what do I have to do? And the response is, you don't have to do anything. Christianity is a religion where you don't have to do anything to earn God's blessing. All you have to do is believe. Believe in who Jesus is. Believe in what he's done for you. Like, do you, like, I can't emphasize that enough. This is what Christianity is. It's not jumping through the hoops and being a better person and doing all these things. It is simply us believing in Jesus and what he has done. They go to the jailer's house. The jailer tends to their wounds. They make a meal. And they have the opportunity to share the gospel with his family. And it says that the jailer and his entire household, they believe in the Lord Jesus and are baptized publicly to show their faith to everybody. Yeah, we believed. We're in. We're getting in on that Christianity thing. Conclusion of the text. The next day, the magistrates, the leaders, man, they realize, hey, maybe we overpunished them or maybe we didn't punish them rightly. So they call the police to go and set Paul and Silas free. <clears throat> and Paul and Silas are like, nope, you're not getting off easy. We are Roman citizens. You illegally beat us. You illegally threw us in prison. <clears throat> so Paul and Silas make a demand that the magistrates come and apologize and personally escort them from prison. Why do they do that? Well, Paul and Silas, they're missionaries. They know, hey, we're not going to be in Philippi forever. We're here for a season. God's going to use us. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then we're going to go to some other place and plant another church. And Paul and Silas are like, wait a second. If they... If they persecuted us like this, man, what kind of persecution is going to come for Lydia and the rest of the church? Paul and Silas says, no, we need to do something. So Paul and Silas say, hey, magistrates, you're going to come and apologize and escort us from prison because that's going to positively influence the public standing of the church. By those magistrates leading Paul and Silas out, that is going to say to the community, hey, these people are not people to be trifled with. It's going to prevent further opposition. 
fun passage. And here, here's my big idea. Here's, here's the summary. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. A defiant faith chooses to look past the pain and embrace the hope we have in God. This defiant faith is a choice. This ability to praise God in the middle of the storm, it's a choice to look past what's right in front of us and choose to believe the hope that is in God. Here's the problem with pain and suffering and hardship. The problem with pain and suffering, when we go through these things, is so often we think that we are the center of the universe. We think, we think everything revolves around me. Everything exists for my life to fulfill me or to make my life good or make my life easy. And the world, man, the world fuels this idea. It's all about you. You do you. You go, do be, go be happy. Go do whatever that takes for you. Leaves us as the center of the universe with everything revolving around us. And then what happens when life gets flipped, turned upside down? Oh, we love to think we can prevent hardships from coming. If we've lived any life, we know that no amount of control, no amount of money, no amount of worry or anxiety, no amount of caution can prevent the phone call of sickness, of hardship, of suffering, of death. We can't prevent it. And if the world revolves around me when that hardship comes, we're left in shambles. And that's when we lead to those questions. Why me? Why, God? God, why are you punishing me? God, I thought you loved me. Man, I knew this God thing didn't work. I'm, I'm str- of course, God doesn't love me. That's why I'm struggling. I don't know about you, but if suffering is a reality of this life, I want that defiant faith like Paul and Silas. I want that faith like that young girl from Madison House that despite the hardships can, can look past the pain and still embrace and see and take joy in the hope that is in God. And I'll tell you what, if we're going to learn to be a people that have this defiant faith, we've got to be a people who realize that life is not about me. You and I, we are not the center of the universe. You know who is? God and his will. That's the center of the universe. We exist to serve him, not the other way around. And you know what God's desire is for the world? God's desire of the world is that we would come into a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is God's desire for us. This is God's desire for the world, that people would come to know him. In addition, his desire for us is that we would grow in our dependence and our relationship on, with him. And if we would grasp those two things, if we would grasp this idea, God's desire is to draw the world to himself and to help us deepen our love and dependence on him, we'd begin to realize that our lives are not our own. Our lives, we've been bought with a price. 
We were created by God to serve and honor him and to be used for his glory, not the other way around. And the great thing is God is not an evil dictator. He's a loving father, which is why Romans 8 tells us that God is working things out, not for our happiness, not to make life easy. God is working things out for our good and for his glory. God is still sovereign. God is in control. God is, is, is working through the hard things to shape us, to, to deepen us, to strengthen us, to make us more like him, and to use us to lead others to a relationship with him. And not only that, not only we have the promise that God is working even through the hardship, but we have the promise from Psalm 23. The psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, who's with me? God is with you. Even though you're suffering and struggling, you're not suffering alone. God is walking with you right through the middle of it. I'm going to close with, with, with two things. And this is why we praise God when we're suffering. We should praise God when we're suffering, number one, because others are watching. Again, this ability to praise God is, is, is a choice. This defiant faith is a choice. We choose to have faith. We choose to believe. We choose to sing the goodness of God. You know what's great when we choose that? Man, there's other people that are watching. I mean, this Philippian jailer, this Philippian jailer, he found Jesus because Paul and Silas had this defiant faith. Paul and Silas were willing to say, we choose to have the defiant faith, to, to, to look past the pain, to embrace the hope that's in God. And it led this Philippian jailer to come and find Jesus. What if, what if in the middle of the pain, what if in the middle of the suffering, what if our first thought wasn't, God, where are you? What if our first thought was not, God, why are you punishing me? What if our first thought was, God, whose life are you trying to use me for? I mean, as Christians, I think it's so funny because we pray. We pray all the time, God, God, would you use me? God, strengthen my faith. Make me, make me more like you. We pray and we're like, God, would you reach this? I've got this family member. I've got this friend. They don't know you, Jesus. God, would you, would you reach them? We, we pray for those things. We pray, God, would you do this? Listen, what if the suffering you're experiencing right now is God answering the prayers that you've been praying to make you stronger, to use you, to bring other people to him? Listen, this doesn't mean we forget our problems. This doesn't mean we just put up with it. I mean, I love this fact that you see the end of the chapter, Paul and Silas, they're like, hey, we're not gonna just sit back idly. We're gonna push back. You magistrates, you come and apologize to me. But what if the circumstances you're in right now, the pain, the suffering, what if God is using it? Answer the prayers that you've been praying. God, give me a stronger faith. God, lead this person to faith in you. How you worship, it puts your belief in the promises and the goodness of God on display.
This is why one of the things we talk about here at Restoration, we want, we want like exuberant worship. We want passionate worship. We want to hear voices lifted and hands raised. And, and if you're one of those people that move around, move around. Like we want that because that's putting your faith on display. Now, I recognize like we all have different personalities. But I tell you, one of the things that, that we see so often, we got worship going on and we're sitting here like this, arms crossed, mumble the words, I might say a couple words. Almost like we just put up with worship. Makes me think, like, how often, again, it's NFL season, how often are we watching the Seahawks on TV and we shout at the TV, yeah, go Seahawks, you guys are awesome! Or, yeah, you guys are idiots, I don't know why you guys didn't run the ball here. Like, there's passion for the Seahawks. Some of you are getting ready to go uh, hunting and when you get an elk, you're like, yes, I got the elk. Some of you are going to go hunting at TJ Maxx, and you're like, yes, I got the deal. Right? <laughs> it's true. Listen, if we can be excited about those things, I'll tell you what, those things aren't going to matter when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But Jesus is. And if we can get excited about those things, why can't we get excited about singing praise him? Because worship is our opportunity to put on display the faith and the hope that we have in God. Here in a little bit, we're gonna have an opportunity to sing, and here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to sing. I'm gonna ask you to put a smile on your face when you're singing. I'm gonna ask you, hey, raise your hand. Put your hands up. Like, just... He's worthy, is he not? And guess what? As we have this ability to worship, man, it's beautiful because people around you are like, man, I love that semen. Hallelujah, praise God. Second reason why we should worship when we're suffering is because it allows the truth about God to connect to our hearts. In fact, as I read this passage, I'm like, Paul and Silas are in prison. Why does it say that they were praying and reading Scripture? Like, that's the Christian things you're supposed to do, right? Pray, read Scripture, but that's not what they were doing. They were praying and singing, worshiping God. Because if we're going to be honest, in times of hardship and suffering, like our mind, we know true things about God. We know that God is good. We know that God says he's with me. We, we know those things. But how often is there a disconnect from, between what we know and what we feel in our heart? We can know these things to be true, but they don't impact our feelings and our emotions. Our hearts remain engulfed in our problems. Listen, music is the heart language, is it not? Songs help the truths that we know deep down in our head to connect to our heart. And those songs can minister to us in amazing ways. I'll close with this. You know, a few weeks ago, I had just a rough week, difficult week, some animosity, some meetings that left me frustrated. I felt, man, I was, I was angry. 
I felt alone. I felt not supported. I felt my heart and my motivation was being doubted and questioned. I was discouraged and I felt my, my heart just getting bitter. But I'd been to Costco a couple days before and I thought, hey, if Costco can have Christmas decorations up, darn it, I'm putting Christmas music on. So I put on my pentatonic Christmas music playlist. <laughs> Listen to them singing Silent Night. God rest you, Mary, gentlemen. Mary, did you know? Little drummer boy, hallelujah. And I'll tell you what, as I listened to those songs and sang along, it was so good for my heart and my soul. As I could sing those words, hope broke through. I experienced joy despite the frustration I was in. There was a confidence. This is why Paul and Silas are such a great example of the power of praising God in the middle of the storm. Because it helps us to take these things we know about God to be true and bring them into our heart, bring them into our soul, bring them into our emotions. And I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit does a transformative work, ministering to us and comforting us when we choose to say, God, I don't feel it right now, but I choose to sing. I choose to believe. I choose to embrace the hope I have in 